The Power of Courageous Leadership. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Kate Johnson, president of Microsoft US. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for having me. Of course. So what's the scope of your responsibility within Microsoft? I'm the president of Microsoft US. It's a $45 billion P&L. We cover all customer segments and all products uh, selling into enterprises. When it comes to deliberate, intentional efforts to move the culture of an organization in a particular direction, mm -hmm. the first and most important ingredient is executive sponsorship. Right. Explain how you and your leadership team model and promote leadership courage in day-to-day -day affairs. Well, courage is actually a big, big, big thing for us. And if you look at the world today, uh, it's pretty complex out there. And uh, courageous leadership is an essential ingredient for success. And so we've, we've sort of recognized that and we know it's important for our people to develop it. And I, we've learned over the past you know, few uh, quarters and, and years that courage is something that can be taught. Brene Brown with her Dare to Lead methodology has uh, given us this gift of understanding that courage can be broken down into a few discrete skills that can be taught. So the first thing is we talk about courage all the time and we define why it's important. Uh, the second thing is we really have gotten into a place where we're helping people one by one develop the skills that they need to be quote unquote courageous. And we're modeling it ourselves. We're sitting side by side with our people in the classes to develop those skills. So the executive sponsorship is everything from the communication plan around saying it's important all the way down into the modeling and the digging in and doing the uncomfortable thing of learning in front of all of your people. I think that's what's, what inspires them to recognize that this is important and that they've got to do it too. You're also a great role model for empathy. Why is that such an important ingredient in Microsoft's US team? So empathy is so critical for us to achieve our mission, right? And our mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And you just can't do that unless you deeply understand what that person or organization needs to be empowered. In our culture, we talk about being customer obsessed. We talk about being diverse and inclusive. And we talk about operating as one team. If you think about all of that together, there's one common denominator, one skill, that would make all of that possible. And it's empathy, the ability to drive deep understanding of problems, of people, of your surroundings, of challenges, of issues. And so we really have spent the past couple of years defining empathy as that core skill that we'd like everybody to have as the going in skill for their, their growth plant. And man, it was, it was great preparation for 2020. You know, so I'm glad we invested in that because all of a sudden we find ourselves with a pandemic, with social unrest, with natural disasters, with economic uncertainty. So we need resilience, we need patience, we need agility, we need all these things. And empathy is that thing that enables all of us to recognize what those needs are so that we can play our part in getting there. 
you've said to unlock performance, you have to unlock people. Explain that. Well, first of all, I kind of borrowed that from Brene Brown, who taught us that, right? And, uh, but I think it just resonates so much. And, you know, I, look, I'm a change lover. My entire career, I've been leading change programs. So I started as a management consultant. I worked across a number of different industries, and I fell in love with the art of transformation. And at first, it was really changing the thing. Am I changing a process? Am I changing an organization? Is it a strategy? You know, what is it? And no matter what project I was working on, no matter what job I had, by the way, including the one I have today, where I'm on the hook to change our commercial function to help us become the number one cloud company on earth. So we got to change everything about the way we behave commercially. There's one common denominator across that whole thing is the people. And if you can get the people to change their behavior to align to what that new vision or mission is, then you're there. But I think oftentimes we spend so much time thinking about everything but the people and we figure that, hey, if we just define it all, then the people will figure it out on, the own, or on their own. And we skip things like, what are the essential skills that they need? How are they going to learn those skills? And what are all the learning differences across our employee population? How do we help them with that? And then, and I think this is super critical, how do we build the systems and processes to help them keep those new behaviors that they've worked so hard to change, right? Performance management, encouraging them when they do things right, teaching them when they do things wrong. Um, all of these things have to be done together in order to unlock the people to be the best that they can. When you do that, your performance just skyrockets. And I, I really think over the past couple of years, we've learned the deep, deep, deep connection. They're spending more and more time on the people rather than just on the products and the business metrics that we love so dearly. How do you define proximity and, and what role does it play in creating a more inclusive environment? So proximity is an essential ingredient of empathy right? It's about, I mean, and it's, it's, you know, if you, I think if you look it up, you'll find it has something to do with physical closeness. And so, you know, if you're talking about developing understanding through empathy, proximity is essential. And look, we came up with the notion of proximity um, because we felt as though we had a lot of people who had been with the company for a long time that had been leading these giant organizations and hadn't gotten out of their office, out of the ivory tower, out of their corporate function and close to the field and the problems and the issues, immersing themselves in customer challenges. And so we kind of talked about it a lot, like, hey, you can't really be customer obsessed, one of the core ingredients of our culture, if you don't understand customer challenges and you can't understand customer challenges if you don't immerse yourself in them. So get proximate, get close. Now, interestingly enough, this idea of like geography mattering or physical closeness mattering, well, that got blown out in 2020, didn't it? Right now, all of a sudden we're all virtual. We're all working from our homes and we've had to really develop the muscle to gain proximity virtually. And the only way to do that is through this emotional connection. And the best way to do that is with intellectual curiosity. It's about pausing. It's about asking the next question and really listening to it, asking questions 
to listen and to learn rather than asking questions to respond. And I guess what we're learning as an organization is that last question, that one more that you add on there really makes a difference to the person that you're engaging with, to the customer that you're engaging with, the employee or the partner that you're engaging with. It can make a transaction. It can build a deeper relationship. It matters a lot. So uh, proximity is a word that I can't, I don't know if you could tell, but it sort of lights me up because it's, it's the how. It's the how we develop all of these capabilities. What role do frontline workers, maybe frontline managers specifically play in the grand scheme? Well, so goes managers, so goes the entire subsidiary, right? So uh, they're essential to it. And it's really important to make sure that you understand what their real challenges are. And, um, you know, again, this notion of proximity, there's no way that I can understand what, what the challenges of a manager are unless I get close to them. And some of our biggest breakthrough moments in our transformation have been engaging one-to-one -one with a manager and developing the relationships so that they're so comfortable that they can tell you the truth, that they can speak truth to power. And that's, that's courage, by the way. That's overcoming friction. That's feeling like it's okay for me to get uncomfortable and to share this with Kate, with Kate's leadership team, with, with fill in the blank, whoever's on the other side of it. I feel like I can rumble an essential courage skill and bring the truth to somebody who may see something entirely differently. I mean, imagine a frontline manager telling me, hey, your message isn't getting through um, because it's too noisy. We got too many priorities. We have too much, um, you know, too many meetings going on. So I, I, I don't know what's important. And, you know, I think there's sort of one side of you that says, well, how could this be? You know, I've laid this out so perfectly. What do you mean it's not getting through? But the real leader, the real change leader stops, deeply listens and tries to get it right right? Instead of being right, like I don't want to show up and be right. I want to show up and get it right. And that's another essential skill that we're kind of trying to teach everybody that goes along with this notion of pausing to reflect and listen, driving deep empathy, having the courage and the vulnerability to not know all the answers and to take input from a frontline manager who's on the hook to either make it work or not and, and pivoting your entire strategy based on that feedback. You mentioned Brene Brown. Tell us a little bit about the empathy and action plan. What is it and why did you introduce it now? Yeah, well, so look, last year when um, the world was still and the unspeakable tragedies of racism were happening uh, across our country, I made a promise to our people that we would look to figure out how to address the inequities in our company. And I took the advice of one of my colleagues to first be still, because, you know, a lot of us who lead businesses like this, we, we tend to be sort of oriented towards action, biased towards action, right? And sometimes that's the last thing you should do. You should stop, you should listen, you should pause, you should reflect. And I did. And while it took us a while to sort of sort through all of the complexities and nuances, I think we came up with a really, really solid plan. We call it empathy in action. So it's kind of gone from a mantra to an actual program. Um, it's, it's a couple of layers. It starts with the mandate, which is we're on the hook to close the gap 
between our aspired cultural aspiration and the lived reality of our people. That's why that frontline manager is so important because he or she says, this is my reality. And if it's different than what we're trying to deliver, which is a diverse and inclusive and collaborative environment, then we're on the hook to fix it. Uh, it's got three layers. It's skill building first. That's where Brene came in. I called her up and said, look, I need help building courageous leaders because um, we're so afraid of learning in front of everybody. And we're so afraid of being wrong. And when you talk about these really complex issues, which are no longer now my inside or outside of work problems, the same problems that exist in the market exist in my workplace. And I've got to learn how to address them. I've got to learn how to talk about them. I have to, as a courageous leader, I have to see the problem. I have to talk about it with my people. I have to figure out my role in the problem. How did, how did I help us get here? And then more importantly, what's my role in the solution? All of this is super important and related directly to creating an environment where courage is celebrated. And remember, courage isn't the absence of weakness. Courage is actually the ability to admit that you have weaknesses so that you can get everybody's input and opinion and, and get to the right answer together as a team. But that's only one of the pieces of, of you know, skill building that we're doing. We're talking about our values training. We're talking about allyship and covering all these super important things to ultimately change people's behavior. We are then the second layer of this, of this plan is to really make sure we have all the operational capabilities in place to make that change stick. Our performance management system, our hiring, our, our uh, development, our promotion plans, et cetera, all have to celebrate the same things and all have to provide the ability to fix the things that are broken. And then the last piece, which is really where I think the rubber meets the road is, as we're starting to learn how to get it right inside the company, how are we leveraging our platform as one of the largest companies in the world to bring that learning through our ecosystem to the communities that we serve? And that's where we have programs like Accelerate, for example, where we're bringing digital skilling to the underserved to drive economic development in markets where some might not have access to the training they need to get the jobs that they need. And uh, it's, it's super exciting, all fits together. It's new, it's evolving, but I think it's the plan that's gonna help us accelerate our culture transformation, unlock our people, both employees, customers, and partners to drive superior performance. So what advice can you offer other senior leaders who seek to move their innovation culture forward? So I think it's about being specific. You know, we're, Look, digital transformation in this era where everything's changing every single day so fast, you have to really look ahead and then you've got to be very specific about, as I've said a couple of times, recognizing the common denominators that will make the difference. Um, you know, so often you're playing whack-a-mole to try and address problems. I think if you instead think about opportunities and what true behavior change you can drive, you can recognize patterns to make a difference. This empathy thing, it's just making us better in front of customers. I'm not saying we get it right every time. I'm saying we're learning what good looks like, which is the only way that you can get there. So being specific about your mission and culture and how these common denominators relate to it 
And then I think it's about delivering a tangible plan that not only gives everybody the opportunity to change, but gives everybody the feeling or the sense of accountability that they need to. And then of course, there's the cheerleader part, which says, hey, if we get this right, this is gonna be super cool. So it's a little bit of a formula to say, you know, you need the, you need the plan, you need the pieces, you need the narrative, you need the communications, and then you need the banner that says, rah, rah, let's go. Kate Johnson, president of Microsoft US, showing us what good looks like. Kate, if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? I think it's probably best in LinkedIn. It's uh, it's where I, I post my articles and obviously we've, we've got a way to communicate through messaging. So uh, I think that works best. <laughs> Thanks again, Kate. And find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. Thank you.